everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. I figured it out. Uh, why we missed the big snow blizzard of 2020. Um, my father-in-law moved up here from Texas, and uh, he really wants to see snow, I suppose, so he can brag to his friends down in Texas that uh, and take the picture, you know, and send it. This is, this is what, you know, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm here. And, uh, and I think they got more snow yesterday in Texas than we got in Madison. Um, but here it is. Yeah, I just figured out. God loves my father-in-law, Zane, so much. He knows he can't handle what we have to handle year in and year out. And so he's protecting him and we get to enjoy like this amazing uh, mild winter. So thank you, uh, Zane, for, um, uh, for being here because it's blessed all of us who do not like shoveling uh, or uh, we can only handle so much shoveling. So that's, that's, that's the revelation I had. So that's it. Tell, mark that down. Put it in your blog. Uh, it's it's truth. It's you can take that one to the bank. Okay. So last week uh, we we're talking, and this is this is fun. Uh, we, we, I, I told you that Benjamin was speaking. All right. Your your money is 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 speaking to you. In fact, uh, here's a picture of um, here's a picture of. There is no picture of, I got a dead, there it is. Is that me dead or is that, okay, look at this. So uh, there's, there's, there's our $100 bill and Benjamin Franklin, in case you didn't know, he's on those $100 bills. And uh, we, we came up with this, even though he's tight-lipped uh, in this picture, he's, he's, he's wanting to tell us something that, that, that our money and our finances can add meaning to our life, but they are not the meaning of life. And if we flip that around, things can get really crazy really quick. And we also find out that uh, if, if we make money and end, uh, uh, you know, you may end up being all alone. So if your end goal is to get a whole lot of money, in the end, you may be all alone with a whole lot of money. And we talked about the fact that we don't see hearses pulling U-Hauls or, or, uh, or yachts or anything else. You, they don't talk about your money and your wealth at your funeral. They talk about your stories and how you've touched lives and how you were a blessing to those who love you and those who you intersected with in this life. So Jesus knew this, and Jesus talked a lot about money, uh, but he never asked for money. In fact, over a third, almost between a third and a half of all of his parables in the New Testament have to do with possessions and wealth, but he never asked for money like some of your favorite television evangelists. He just taught because he knew that there was a heart thing going on. And, uh, and I, I, I also think, I, I don't know if I put this one up as well. Well, this one here, my self-control determines who's in control. And that's what I kind of want us to see this morning that, um, uh, you know, that, that at the end of the day, Self-control is a huge issue in our lives. And I'm going to talk about finances a little bit, but I'm going to talk about a whole lot of other stuff more than that, okay? So you're going to have to keep your ears open uh, and maybe just write down every time I say the word money or finances or something like that, because this is about kingdom stuff, and this is about what Jesus talks about and what he teaches and shares into our and speaks into our life as his followers, okay? So, and I think the reason why Jesus spoke so much, by the way, uh, about resources, finances, and, and money is because he knew that when uh, you locate a man's treasure, you'll find his heart. In fact, the scripture says that, doesn't it? All right. So no matter how much, how much we earn, you need to understand this, that we cannot control ourselves. If we cannot control ourselves, uh, we will never have enough. All right. So no matter how much you earn, if you haven't gained self-control, you will always need to earn 
more. And we will end up living from paycheck to paycheck. We'll end up living from month to month. Uh, this, you know, this is me. If only I had more money. And I've probably said that at some time in your life. You're probably saying it right now, some of you. And you're saying, if I only had more money. And your money is saying this. That tight-lipped Benjamin is speaking over you right now. He says, if only you had more self-control, you'd probably have more money. All right? So how do we develop self-control? How do we develop self-control? Uh, I, I, I want you to see something. That living for Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, we call it living for the kingdom. We saw kingdom up there. That's really strange unless you're a, you know, you follow the royals of Britain and, oh man, everything's crazy right now. We've got to pray for the crown. I mean, we have crisis. They're, they're leaving they're leaving their status and they're just going to come and work at Chick-fil-A here in the States. And it's, and we're really concerned about that. I'm sure you are. I know my wife is. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, here's the deal is that uh, the kingdom of God, and we don't know a lot about kingdoms. We're a republic or democracy or whatever we want to call ourselves. But this idea of, 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 of God's kingdom, his righteous rule, his his authoritative rule in this planet, it's kind of invisible, although it's really not because it's being, it's being made manifest in his followers, those who follow Jesus. But it's, it's this, it's upside down, all right? It's upside down, and that's what I kind of want to even uh, title my message this morning, just that upside down living. The Jesus way, the kingdom way, the kingdom of God way is usually the opposite uh, of our own reasoning, uh, that which we think and how we think and how we process and how we live. Christ's kingdom is so often the polar opposite. It's upside down uh, living. Um, you know, up is down and down is up. It's like you flip the script, you turn it upside down. You say, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus one day was heading to Jerusalem. In fact, it was his last trip to Jerusalem. He was going to ultimately be uh, going to the cross within a matter of a couple of days. And uh, on his way, uh, he's doing teaching and he's teaching during that week of, of, uh, of what we call uh, the, the Passion Week. But before he hits Jerusalem, uh, Mrs. Zebedee, whose sons were James and John, uh, James didn't write a book. His uh, Jesus' brother James did. We see that in the New Testament, a letter. But James and John were very close to Jesus. Peter and Andrew uh, seemed to be as well. But for sure, James and John and Peter show up very, always kind of that inner circle of Jesus, kind of uh, close to him. And, and uh, of course, John wrote the Gospel of John and uh, the, the letters in John, and it's believed Revelation by many. Okay, so you've got these guys. In fact, their nicknames were Sons of Thunder. So you kind of get an idea that they... They were ready for a, they were ready for life, you know what I mean? They, they, they were kind of cage fighters probably, you know, and they, they, and they were, they were by Jesus side. And so Mrs. Zebedee, James and John's mother come to him one day, and this is found in the scripture and says, uh, Hey, uh, when you enter into your kingdom, would you, uh, do me, do me a favor? Would you place Jimmy and Johnny at your right and your left hand? Now that means, would you make, you know, James, you know, your, your, your chief assistant, will you make John, you know, your secretary of state, if we we're speaking in our terms of a, of a democracy, you know, right hand man, would you, would you raise them up to that place of authority? Because after all, I mean, these guys are the sons of thunder. And, uh, and Jesus uh, had a, he had a word, but, but before he had the word, the other 10 found out about it. See, she went privately. That's what you do when you try to get your, when you try to make a political move and get your sons in that place, in that space, don't let their 
you know, their companions see it. And so when the companions, the other 10 disciples found out about, about it, it the, the scripture says that they, in Matthew chapter 20, that they were indignant. That means they were really mad, okay? And uh, so here's what Jesus' response is. He says this, he says, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Okay, what rulers do, Gentiles, that's everybody outside of Judaism. And they were in the middle of Judaism there. This is before Christ's cross and it was before his resurrection and before the gospel went to the, the ends of the earth, especially the Mediterranean rim there. And so uh, through the apostles. And, and so this, this is a Jewish audience. And he's saying, now the non-Jewish audience, the people out there of the world, those who maybe don't know the ways of the Torah, the ways of the Ten Commandments and stuff, they, they don't rule right. They lord it over them. They, they are in authority, in positions of authority, but that just sounds kind of, that it's not, it's, it's, it can be an oppressive rule. And we see that throughout history, oppressive leaders and how the, the Proverbs speak a lot about oppressive leadership and how the people just are perishing under that kind of a weight. And their high officials exercise authority over them. I was, uh, I was looking at a, a, a YouTube piece. There's a movie out, and uh, you can research this. I'm not going to give you the name, but essentially it's about a major news organization, the head of that news organization, who was abusing the, his authority and using and harming women. And it, it became public, and he had to resign I think they gave him a parting gift of $40 million or something like that. Seriously. And this is a, a movie, and a lot of it's accurate in how it helped start the Me Too movement. This what took place in some of the women that came forward because of somebody who was in authority that was uh, ruling over these women. And if they didn't do things that some were immoral, then it could cost them their future. And they were in an industry that they wanted to be a part of sobering stuff. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is, this is kind of the, 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 the mode of operation of those worldly, worldly leaders. And we see it today in the headlines. And it was in the headlines of the Jerusalem Post 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is addressing this. Often, corruption is at the heart of those who are in authority. But Jesus says this for us. And he's saying, look at this. Uh, he's saying, not so with you. That's the disciples. He's speaking to his disciples right now because they're all frustrated that James and John's mama went to Jesus and said, hey, would you put them right under you? They're really, they're, they can be large and in charge. And they are angry. He says, listen, hold it. Everybody here, listen up. Instead, if you want to be great, if you want to become great, uh, you must be a servant. Whoa, that sounds like flipping the script. That sounds like turning the whole thing upside down. The kingdom of God is not about being large and in charge. It's about taking the low road and lifting up, is what Jesus said. And this was Jesus' life and example. Rulers. Not, and, and, by the way, uh, so Jesus said, you want to be first, go to the back of the line. You want to be on top, go to the bottom. If you want to be great, you serve. By the world's standards, this is crazy, isn't it? Because you don't try to, well, you do. But a lot of people who want to be great, they don't try to be great uh, just so that they can serve. They try to be great so that they can have authority and power. And oftentimes, the power corrupts. Uh, uh, by Jesus' standard, by the way, this was normal leadership to serve. And it was through his service 
and is pouring out his life, that a great kingdom was established. Of course, the cross was the apex of that. Jesus says, I didn't come to, uh, to be served. I came to serve. That was his MO. It was servant leadership. It was servant authority. In fact, in John chapter 13, we spent a few weeks in the, in the gospel of John this last fall. And in John chapter 13, it's the picture of the, the Lord's Supper. It's the picture of the Last Supper just before Jesus goes to the garden and then to the cross. So within the few hours of crucifixion. And John says that he got up from the table, must be during the meal or after the meal. And he kind of took off his, his rabbinic robe and he just kind of had, he had a towel around his waist got a, a basin of water, and he began to wash the feet, the stinky feet of every one of his disciples. See, they didn't have, I don't know what kind of shoes. These might be bass shoes. I don't know what kind of socks I have. I don't know what you're wearing. Sometimes we need to wash our socks. But listen, they lived in a world where they didn't have socks. They didn't have shoes. They had sandals, and their feet were dirty, and their feet were, were, uh, uh, were, 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 were worn out from the travel. And they, they didn't have buses. They may have a donkey, but those guys weren't riding donkeys. And, and, and to wash feet, it's a humbling thing, and Jesus did it. In fact, Peter said, no, no, Lord, do not do it to me. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't, you're going to miss the whole thing. You've got to receive this. And then when he was done, when Jesus was done washing all their feet, he said, you know, you've, 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 you projected me, you've declared me as Lord, you've declared me as teacher, and you were right, I am that, I'm the teacher, the teacher, capital T, the Lord, right, you're right, you're right on, spot on when you say that. But um, uh, as you've watched what I've done, you need to do the exact same thing. Do as I have done. Wash feet. The Lord, the King, the Messiah. In the normal sense, especially what they're looking for in a Messiah, Messiahs and Lords and Kings didn't wash feet. They had their feet washed. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, the true Messiah. I am the Lord of all Lords. I'm the King of all Kings. And I wash feet. And unless the Lord, the King, and the Messiah uh, washes feet, uh, then he's not uh, participating in this kingdom, capital K, uh, 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 life and rule. And Jesus modeled that for us. It's upside down, isn't it? It's upside down. Kings and lords and, you know, long prophesied leaders, they, they don't do that. Jesus, you're, you're off script. You've, you've, you've strayed. Get back on the reservation. Get back where you're supposed to be. And, and Jesus says, no, this is what it's all about. This is what it's about. Now you do likewise. You wash feet. The apostle Paul, who was at first a, uh, um, a persecutor of Christians, he was a, a he was a purebred Jewish from the tribe of Benjamin. He went to the, the best seminary in Israel at the time and sat under the best professors. And he became at the top of his game. And before long, he was persecuting the early church, these early Christians that had kind of launched after the day of Pentecost. And his job is to take them to prison and hopefully have them done away with literally a, a death sentence if he had his way. And uh, on the road to, uh, to, to go and get, and, you know, gather up more Christians to persecute, Jesus met him supernaturally and it transformed his life. And so this Jewish trained, theologically trained by the very best of the best, he becomes uh, and pours his life and serves and pours his life out to the Gentile, the non-Jewish 
people around, uh, again, the Mediterranean is where he ends up as you read the New Testament, right? So that's John, or that's Paul. We call him uh, Apostle Paul. Paul uh, wrote many of the letters that we see in the New Testament, and, uh, and we, we gained so much as he had such amazing revelation. Look what he said when he wrote these, this one letter to the churches in Galatia. He said it this way in the very last chapter. Uh, he said, uh, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, desire, the desires of the flesh. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It sounds really spooky, doesn't it? What it means is it just basically it means as we follow Jesus Christ, there's a third person of the Godhead. We talked about it in that, in that you know, by the way, that's the song that the, the first Christians were singing. That was like top 100, top one on the top 100 of the Christian praise songs. It was the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed a little bit later. It's, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the fact is, there is a Holy Spirit. And the fact is, living by the Spirit means that we begin to take on his identity and his nature and he begins to transform our heart and our attitudes and our mindset and we walk by the spirit and that's not by the flesh there's an opposite to that it's the way we're born it's the way we're hell-bent it's it's perverted and, and and penetrated by all the darkness of the world and God's called us to be separate from that as we follow Jesus and his Holy Spirit fills us and pretty soon we begin to take on the characteristics of Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and we walk by the spirit and it's really cool it doesn't have to be spooky sometimes it will freak us out but not very rarely, but that's cool. And, and it's a cool kind of freak out. You know, I, Debbie and I watched ghosts the other day. You've ever seen that movie? That's an old one. And, uh, um, it's, I'm not sure it's theologically correct. And in fact, it's not at all, but it's really kind of fun how, how he kind of hangs out and takes care of all the evil before he ascends into his, his destination place, which was up. You don't want to go down. Those are creepy things. But anyway, um, Total rabbit. Uh, I, that happens sometimes, you know, when you see spirit and that type of deal. Uh, it was called ghost. Uh, don't watch it. I'll tell you all about it after service. But look at this. Um, uh, the actions uh, that are produced, and Paul says these, these actions that are produced by selfish motives, that's the flesh, are obvious. All right. He's saying these actions that are produced, you got the walking by the spirit, but the actions produced by selfish motives or flesh, one and the same, they're obvious. He said it this way, and we'll call them, we'll call them the fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, moral corruption, this is coming right from Galatians chapter six, by the way. Uh, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies were probably big in Paul's day around that, you know, the Greek and the Roman influence, and they're probably big in some circles today. None of it really changes, and the like. So Paul's saying, that's, that's the fruit of the flesh. That's, when you sow these seeds, this is what you're going to get, and the seeds of sin and sinful behavior, and, and you get caught in that. But, but we're talking about walking in the Spirit. So then, so then that means that there's, there's another kind of fruit, and here's what it is, and we love this. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Self-control. I think you could almost take self-control, and it relates really closely to my love. I have to control my emotions <laughs> sometimes in order to love well, don't I? I? I need to sometimes speak to my emotions in order to have joy because uh, joy is, uh, is sometimes more of a state of mind uh, than, than, you know, just that emotion. It's saying, I choose to, to walk in the revelation of what God has done. And, and sometimes joy can be that supernatural. The peace, uh, uh, kindness, it's, it's, a, it's, 
it's self-control because there's times that you get impatient and, uh, and you, you, you just, you don't act very kind. And so you have to control yourself in order to, in order to be kind and to be good, to be faithful. By the way, these are just kind of like the opposite of the, the, the fruits of the flesh, aren't they? If you just look at this, you know, the, the, the reason why we, we avoid sexual immorality is because we're called to faithfulness. We say, I will pass by and you're married. Yeah. But how about thinking of that young woman that you're tempted to go down an immoral road with and you realize if you're not going to marry her, she's somebody else's woman. She's somebody else's wife. She's somebody else's mother. And so Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me is bearing fruit that says, you know what? Out of self-control, I'm going to practice faithfulness now and keep my hands off of her because she's not mine. You don't get the thing until you put on the ring. I did not say that, but it's true. I mean, I, I, mean, I you forget that I said that. Take that off the... I think that's a bad pop song from somewhere in my, my daughter's past. I don't know. Who knows? But the deal is, is there, there's this self-control, is this governing process in our life that, that Christ wants to strengthen. And, and I think that uh, uh, this, this is, uh, the verses 20, okay, okay, I'll just say this. Uh, it, helps, it helps me grow the other fruit as well. And that's why I relate that to all these other uh, fruit of the Spirit here. It really is an upside-down principle, isn't it, when you think of self, self-control. Uh, Rather than doing whatever feels good, we seek and we seek to see the development of self-control in our lives. Uh, doing whatever feels good. I think that sums up the fruit of the flesh. Whatever feels good. And you know what? Really, I'm not saying the extreme ends of, of those no-nos that the Apostle Paul writes there to the church at Galatia and applies to us. But I just, whatever feels good, we are so driven by that in our consumeristic world, aren't we? It doesn't have to be way off to the end, but it's, well, what, what feels good to me? That's what I need. It's, it's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one, oh, me, my, mo, whatever that is. That, that's another country song. And it's all about me. It's all about what, it's all about, you know, self-gratification. It's all about uh, uh, what, what, what can make my heart pump a little bit more and excitement and my, my adrenaline flow. And, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I have something better for you that's going to affect your life and transform you. And that is practicing this fruit and growing this fruit of self-control. Without self-control, our, our appetites take control. Did you know that? I mean, that's, that's the truth. Without it, that's what happens. Now, in, uh, in Luke chapter 16, and we looked at this last week, uh, Jesus says this, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. All right. Uh, so, I mean, I just, I want to pause there because you've got to serve, you've got to serve something. You're always being drawn to serve something or someone. And when there's two, Jesus is saying there's going to be conflict. All right. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and you cannot serve both God. And you could, you're about ready to say anything. You're going to plug anything into this. You can imagine. But the last thing you're going to want to plug into there is what Jesus actually said. You cannot serve both God and money. All right. So, uh, because this is what we're, this is the series. We're talking about money here. We are. You're counting. Is that twice now? You cannot serve both God. Jesus is saying, uh, do you have money or does money have you? 
All right. I don't, about that time you're saying, listen, Pastor Brian, I don't make enough money to have issues in this area. But the Lord knows it's a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a challenge that I want to take on myself in my life in, in these weeks ahead and maybe uh, in, in the decades ahead. But we don't have to be or have Bill Gates wealth or portfolio uh, to be enslaved by money. Did you know that? We don't have to be. Uh, and, and it's something that it's, it's something that's really profound. And that's why Jesus spent so much. He's not asking for it but talking about it. Now, for many of us, it's easier to trust Jesus for, let's see, how about our, our sin? Oh, yeah. We get to that point where we've, we've hit the wall and we're just broken and we say, I need a savior. I need someone to bring uh, wholeness to my life. I need forgiveness. It's easy. Most of us here have, have trusted the Lord in that area of our life. It's easy to trust the Lord for, with, with, with a sorrow that we're carrying because it's, we're out of control and, and, and we're just, we're carrying such a burden. Maybe it's grief and it's easy to trust the Lord with that, isn't it? Um, because we just have to let go at that point. We can't control what the outcome is. And we say, Lord, would you come and bring comfort to me? Would you rescue me? Concerns. We talk about eternity. Uh, I grew up in a church where, you know, you know, part of that, that confession of faith was to secure you know, uh, fire insurance, you know, you didn't want to go to the other place. You wanted to be with the Lord forever and didn't want to go to hell, wanted to go to heaven and that eternal decision. And, and I, I think there's, there's truth in that. I think what we missed it is it, Jesus taught not so much about a place, but about a space coming into our hearts, the kingdom. He talked about uh, not so much about flying away, but transforming where you're at through the power of his presence and the kingdom of God being brought through your life and the power of the Holy Spirit so that right now we're, we're bringing a little bit of heaven on earth until heaven comes to earth. But I, that's okay if, 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 uh, if we enter in by saying, hey, I don't, when I die, I realize I'm an eternal being that when I breathe my last breath, there's something more. Um, and that's, that's, that's true. And, and, and we want to be in the presence of the Lord. That's really right. We teach our kids that, but let's also be careful to teach that it's not about, okay, I, I signed off. I'm good. I'm safe. I'm secure. But rather let's be looking. Christ has rescued us for a purpose. And that is to see his amazing kingdom walked out in your life and your testimony. That's, I get excited about that, don't you? So uh, it's easy for us to trust Jesus with these things, sin, sorrow, burdens, concerns, or, or even eternity. Why is it so hard for us to trust Jesus with our finances? Why is it? Some of you are going, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, you, you, know, you have known. If, if it's not where you're at now, it's something you have known in the past. There's a song that we used to sing, I surrender all. All to you, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Uh, why is it so hard to surrender the area of our fight? You say, well, I'm not there. Well, it was, it was a real present problem in Jesus' day, as we can see. And it's a real present challenge for us, even as 21st century followers of Jesus Christ. Why is it? Uh, if we can't surrender all, we haven't really surrendered at all, is a phrase I, I remember seeing and hearing. If we, if we can't surrender all, we haven't really surrendered it all. And we're ready to give Jesus all these main areas of our lives, but that one area of our, of our resources, it's like, oh God, that's, 
I'll take care of that. We, you can, I'm waiting for you to give me the revelation on that one. And we just kind of uh, work our way through life in some cases. I like what Jesus, uh, his great sermon found in Matthew 5 and 6 and chapter 7. Profound teaching that he gives us. In fact, it's, if you read it, it's just one, it's a very large depiction of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and just how upside down that kingdom is. And in, in Matthew chapter 6, a little bit halfway through the, 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 the sermon, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first, seek first, seek first, first, priority one. There's something that happens first. You see, the way that we no longer become slaves to money, as Jesus said, you're going to serve one. It's either God or money. This is Jesus speaking. It's to change priority. It's to establish priority one, to seek first. Self-control is the byproduct of prioritization, all right? When we, when we establish the fruit and grow the fruit of, of the spirit of self-control in our lives in this area of our finances and our resources, then it, it transforms our priorities, and it begins to change that. And Jesus is saying, and this is, has to do with all the anxiety that we have over, well, where's this coming from? Where's that coming from? How am I going to live? How am I going to survive? And Jesus says, as he kind of finishes that whole thought and theme, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his kingdom, not your kingdom, not the English kingdom kingdom of Great Britain, not the worldly kingdom, his kingdom. He said, what is it? It's his rule. It's, it's in a nutshell, it's others first, me second. Uh, we could go on and just read through the gospels, read what the, those who wrote after the gospels and the new Testament say about Jesus. You can see depictions of the kingdom. Sometimes the apostle Paul says for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical, but it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy spirit. Uh, what is the kingdom? It's uh, it's a coat giving, you know, it's, it's, it's an extra mile walking. This is from the sermon on the Mount. It's a cheek turning, you know, it's, it's an enemy-loving, forgiving kingdom. It's profound stuff. It's, it's upside-down stuff. Because when somebody takes me to court wrongly and is asking for my tunic, Jesus says, this kingdom you take. Say, hey, okay, take my coat too. If somebody lording over you improperly or forcing their will on you and, and, and infringing on your personal rights, says, you go walk that mile. Say, okay, only one? Let me go another mile. Get this, if somebody slaps you in the face, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He says, you heard, this is, this is what you're to do, eye for an eye. He says, I'm telling you something. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What did he just say? We want that person dealt with. We want justice. We want to make sure in our, in our, in our world, the kingdom stands. But this kingdom's upside down. In, in the world we live in, and these are the movies we love to see in the end. Oh, man. Kick butt and take names. Justice is coming to town, right? Do you realize who this king is and what his kingdom's about and what his righteousness and justice is about? We just like to kind of stick the Sermon on the Mount kind of over there and go, yeah, one day maybe the world will be like, no. When you said yes to Jesus... His plan for our lives is to begin to form his kingdom, his kingdom in our hearts and our lives. 
and, to, and his authority in our hearts and lives so that we start looking more like Jesus wherever he takes us. All right. So, I, I just I just want to share this really quickly. I was looking at something this past week and reminded of, do you know where Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania is? I think uh, Wayne Groff would know that. He's from Pennsylvania. Uh, Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, Terry Roberts is the was the uh, was the mother and of, of 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 Charlie and and they had a meal together and Charlie seemed kind of out of it, a little overwhelmed, and he left that day. That beautiful family. She has some sons, and uh, Charlie was one of them. And he's there with his wife and children. And the next day, the news hit. Charlie went into a little schoolhouse of an Amish. Uh, a little Amish schoolhouse and opened fire and killed five or six children and wounded five or six or whatever. And the mother, her name is Terry Roberts. Uh, she shares her story. I think she's put it in book form. And, it, and, and this is, I just want to preface this. What does the kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of Christ look like? Here's what it looks like. Her and her husband within a day her husband was a former police officer, strong man in the community, well-respected. Family was well-respected. Her husband rarely cried, maybe at his father's funeral. He's at the breakfast table. He can't even look up. His son had just committed the most horrible, atrocious thing fathomable. And his head is bowed and tears are just flooding. Just He's sobbing. He's just in a state of brokenness that I can't even imagine. I'm sure you can't either. There comes a knock at the door, and it's one of the elders from the Amish community who's related to some of the little girls who were taken by that man's son. And Terry and her husband are there while this Amish elder comes in, stands alongside the father, and begins to speak forgiveness and grace over his life. And if you know the story, it didn't stop there. The Amish community rose up, and they practiced kingdom forgiveness. You'd probably call it enemy loving, because don't you think the enemy in that case, if somebody took your daughters, your children, just the, the son just flipped out and he was a milkman and he was in that neighborhood. He just went in and he just opened fire. And, and don't you think they had every right in the world to hate everything about that, that man who took life from them and love from them and everything related to, no, they chose not to. They chose to practice Love and forgiveness that only is modeled in Jesus Christ and those who follow his ways, I believe. His righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. I love that it's, it's his, not mine. It's his justice. Read the Gospels. Um, he served and gave his life, even his, his, his life and death on the cross. Why do so many people like Jesus? And you find this in polls, but they don't really like those who follow Jesus because we're not letting his kingdom come alive in our lives and we're not modeling uh, the Sermon on the Mount and much of what we see in Christ. And, 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 uh, and so the, they, they don't see Christ because you do the polls, the people that hate Christianity really kind of are in love with Jesus. They like him. He's kind of cool. Well, it's because in Christ they see what Christ is, and they need to see Christ in us and his kingdom in us.
Uh, okay, so uh, I invite the worship team to come, and, and we're going to close. But I just, I just want to give you a challenge here this morning. We're not seeking, because we're not seeking first his righteousness and prioritizing his justice, then uh, we don't see that draw and that magnetism. And I think that's a good challenge for me. I know it's probably for you as well, that we could see that done in our lives. And, and it's just because, again, I go back to that. All this is upside down. Just, just take that phrase. When I say upside down, it's counter to the culture this kingdom culture. And just as you're reading through your, your, your New Testament this year, the Gospels, just maybe make a notation, say, that's upside down. That's outrageous by the standard in which I was raised and just the culture was raised. I, you know, love, neighborly love and walking the extra mile and, and loving and caring and, and giving so that you get. And it's like, none of this makes sense in the natural, but this is a supernatural kingdom for sure. I like that last, that last verse, uh, 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 fill it out there. Just go two slides there if you could for me, gentlemen. Okay, so uh, go back. Yeah, there you go. But, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. See, God's not, God's not anti you having your things, and these things were the things that we need. Maybe there's a difference in what we want and what we need, but I love all the things as we seek Christ, as we get our priorities in order. All the rest of it's going to flow through God's love and his provision. He loves us and cares for us and about the things that we care about and need for our lives. Um, all the things that we need will be given. And these are from the mouth of Jesus. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't some, some wild, crazy teacher out there somewhere. This is what Jesus said. If you prioritize Christ's righteous rule in his kingdom, and if you allow that to soak into your life as you, as you, as you, pursue his righteousness, his justice, that the rest of these things are going to just fall into your life that you'll be cared for. So self-control uh, is grown. It's a fruit. It's not given. All right. The fruit of the spirit, they aren't the gifts of the spirit. It's something that we, 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 we grow in our lives. That's growing in, a, in our lives. And, uh, uh, and so here's the question. Are we in control of our, of our finances or are our finances controlling us? Um, here's the challenge that I want to put before you. It's one that I want in my own life. So this is kind of, you can participate in my challenge this morning, okay? What if all of us this morning chose to seek Christ, seek his kingdom in the area of our finances in a greater measure in this, in this season of our lives? If you were to break down the percentage of your earnings, how much do you right now give towards, how much do you give? All right, doesn't matter where you give. Most of us probably maybe invest in this local church. Your children are here. We, we're, we do things together here. That's beautiful. But uh, outside of even this here, what, what percentage, if you, you, you can hook up your bank app or whatever, you can do a, a, a pie graph. What is that percentage? Is it 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. What is, what is the slice of that pie? Here's my challenge to all of us today. What if for the next, um, for the next six, little over six weeks until, e I'm sorry, 12 weeks until Easter, what if everybody here this morning said, I'm going to increase that slice of pie and I'm going to uh, release an area of my, this area of my life 
because oftentimes that's that area that we're holding on to our finances. And, and maybe, maybe first you, you, you find a, a worthy nonprofit in the city. You know, maybe it's Salvation Army or CareNet or some ministry that just, you know, could really be blessed. Maybe it's a missionary that needs support uh, outside of the church here. What if you increase that slice of your pie in the next three months and just said, uh, and that's my challenge, that you would do that and, and, and just see what God would want to do in your life. Because what you're doing is you're saying, this thing doesn't control me. I don't want it to control me. I want to I want to open up my heart and my hand. I want to be a kingdom person in respect to uh, my resources and God how God resources through me. Um, finding a ministry or nonprofit, like I said. Now, here's the thing: uh, you you may want to do something in house here with our, with our own missions giving or or your your offerings and stuff. Uh, uh, it may just mean adding a zero to whatever you're doing on push pay. Say, oh, I, I've got a lot of zeros behind my push pay. Well, maybe maybe the Lord's saying, you know, I, just for the next few weeks. Try me, test what I could do through your life and how I could uh, uh, just form you and reform you and bring you to a place of, of refreshment. Who knows what God could do? Uh, the, the Lord doesn't need your extra zero. I don't believe that. Uh, I'm not saying we need your extra zero. I think you need to let go of that extra zero if you're like most people because the financial thing is the one thing that is the hardest for us to trust the Lord. And let's stand together. So think about this. We trust the Lord with everything else. Why not? What on our finances? Look at that, that last verse. We shared it last week. Jesus said, uh, sell your possessions. Give, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that won't wear out. Treasures in heaven. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, what could you do for sake of the kingdom to store up treasure as you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you? I, I challenge you to do that. I'm challenging myself. Debbie and I are going to take that challenge. We're going to talk and pray about it. And you know, it may be so amazing what God does in your life by just increasing uh, in your giving, as, you know, uh, making a bigger slice of that financial pie on that graph. You may look and go, man, this makes sense. This is like the Lord may turn on the lights and you may realize, which oftentimes happens when we take a step of faith because it'd be faith for most of us that there's things that come in and you start slicing off of whatever that blessing is and you say, it's just, you just can't outgive God when you start uh, connecting with his heart and his will for, your, for your, uh, your, your possessions and your finances. I challenge you to take that step. It could change your life. Some of you have done that. Some of you do this often. And you, we could get your testimony of, of just how the Lord has, has changed you in, in, the, in the gift and the beauty of just stewarding what God's given you. Uh, some of you, you need to hear this. It's, it's you know, uh, again, take that step and see if this isn't an area in your life, even in the weeks ahead. You got Easter ahead. And, uh, and Lord, I just want to pray even now, Lord, that you would just, uh, that you'd take us and make application of this message this morning. It's about your Lordship, Jesus. It's about controlling all the ap appetites that we have. Uh, and, and this area of finances is a real thing, Lord. And we, we just give it to you. We open our hands up even as we worship with our palms open. Lord, we, we, we say we surrender all today. We surrender everything to you, Lord. And I just pray, God, if this is a directive of you, as I just felt prompted, this challenge, Lord, I pray you'd just, you'd, uh, you'd have 
affirm it or confirm it in the hearts of, of those who worship here today, Lord. And that there could just be a, a creative way that we just extend greater giving into our world in this season, Lord. And, and then, uh, God, if, if it's your will that this continues, that you would just uh, uh, you'd create uh, exponential growth in our lives and insight and revelation of what it means to, uh, to be fully sold out in, a, in every area of our life, to surrender Jesus to you. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship, and then we'll just close in prayer. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.